Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, And we are on to another episode. Today, my guest is Casey Davidson. She is a ex-red wine girl turned life and sobriety coach who helps women create lives they love without alcohol. Casey hosts the Top 100 Mental Health Podcast, the Hello Someday Podcast, created for gray area drinkers and sober curious women. Casey's passionate about helping women who are doing all the things and then coming home and drinking to forget all the things change their relationship with alcohol. So on this episode, we're going to talk about the topic of gray area drinking, what that means, what that looks like, and the benefits of being sober curious and maybe just taking a longer break from alcohol to see if that betters your life. Casey's going to share her own personal story of doing that and how she really realized alcohol in her life was not what she needed and how she was able to stop just trying to moderate her drinking to removing alcohol from her life. But before we start, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review it on iTunes. It really does help the podcast get a lot of exposure. I really do appreciate it. And thank you all who have written a review and given me feedback. I do really appreciate it. It helps make the show better. And um, I appreciate your support. It means a lot to me. All right, everyone, stay tuned for this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Casey Davidson, and she is the host of the Hello Someday podcast, a podcast dedicated to sober, curious women. And so today we're going to talk about gray area drinking, being sober, curious, what that means. But first, Casey, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, and we're going to jump into all those topics. Yeah, absolutely. So I live in Seattle, Washington. I quit drinking seven years ago with the help of a sober coach and books and communities of people, lots of women who are also stopping drinking because it's no longer working in their lives. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I have two kids, a boy who's 14 and a daughter 
who's eight. And I spent 20 years sort of climbing the corporate ladders. I worked in startups. I worked in Fortune 500 companies while I was drinking every night. And I just sort of loved red wine. I used it as my the way I relaxed and decompressed at the end of the day, the way I had fun. And yeah, at the end of my drinking, I was drinking a bottle of wine a night, seven nights a week, unless I was trying to actively moderate. And it was making me feel incredible anxiety. I was sort of vaguely hungover every morning, still doing all the things, still super high achieving, but just drinking, not drinking, worrying about my drinking, trying to make sure no one knew how I felt about it. It consumed all my thoughts. So this is a really personal story for you. I mean, this is a personal mission. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And for the longest time, I didn't know anyone who was sober. I mean, I knew people who didn't drink like I did. I knew a few people who sort of never drank. They were very few and far between because when we're big drinkers, we kind of surround ourselves with other drinkers. But I didn't know anyone who had loved drinking like I did and who had stopped and who said life was better on the other side. So for me, quote unquote, having to stop drinking was my absolute worst scenario in life. And when I finally got past all that, it it's become the best decision I ever made. And I, I would imagine, you know, here you are, super successful. You're a high-powered woman, you know, working at these big companies. And yet there's this kind of little piece that's you're wrestling with, but the whole other world doesn't know about it. You're, you, you look great. Exactly. Like, literally, everyone knew I drank. Like, it, you know, I was going to happy hours with coworkers. My husband, you know, when I was having a bad day, would bring a bottle of wine home. I was a complete member of this sort of mom wine culture and a proponent of it. You know, let's hang out, let's bring our kids, let's drink and have fun. We can sort of multitask. And when I finally stopped, I think I started really worrying about my drinking about when my son was six months old. I tried to stop. I actually stopped for a couple months when he was five. And then I got pregnant with my daughter. So I was alcohol free for a year. And I did some work during those four months when I when I actually right. quit because I was worried about my my drinking. I went back to drinking after she was born. And it very quickly got back to the same place where I was back to a bottle, sometimes more, a night, unless I was sort of white knuckling it to make it four days alcohol free. And then I stopped when my son was eight and my daughter was 22 months old. Wow. Wow. Did you, like when you were going through that, right? And you have this problem, you know, you you have this the feeling inside of you, this isn't working, right? This isn't working for you. But it sounds like no one else outside of you really knew that. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I wasn't hiding it per se, but I, you know, I, I didn't have a big bottom. I never had a DUI. I never had really anyone tell me to stop drinking. 
you know, my husband, when I would sort of open bottle number two on a Tuesday night would be like, what are you doing? You know? And I'd be like, what? I had a hard day. I just want one more glass, you know? And, you know, it was sort of unspoken that he would always drive home from events or dinners out or date nights. He would sort of sometimes not be able to wake me up on the couch when it was time for bed. And he would always kind of ask me how I was feeling in the morning, which I felt was very loaded and what a jerk, you know, for asking me how I'm feeling when I'm brutally (laughs) hungover. But I kept it all together. I still kept getting promoted, but I felt like I could barely cope with life. And for a long time, I thought it was my job, my kids, my husband not helping me. And then when I removed alcohol, after the beginning part, which is really tough to do, I realized that I could do my same job, raise my same kids, handle the household, all that stuff, go on business trips. And it was so much easier because I was sleeping through the night. I was way more productive. I had a lot less anxiety. And I wasn't kind of numbed out for three hours every night and dragging myself through the morning and working so hard to make sure that like no one around me knew how worried I was about it. How did you start to kind of realize, I mean, it sounds like in these moments with your kids where you kind of had that forced sobriety, you had this, these, this like clarity, right? This like, wow, alcohol's really not my friend. Yeah. I think that, I mean, there are just, you know, you probably know this from the addicted mind, but just thousands and thousands of women who are drinking like I did, who are worried about it, but are sort of suffering in silence. They're not talking to anyone about it. They desperately don't want to stop, but they also don't want to be put in that category, that category that is so common in popular cultures, in movies, in TVs, even with doctors, where the line is either you're a quote unquote alcoholic, you have to say you're an alcoholic. You know, if you go to a 12-step meeting, you have to never drink again and struggle and take it one day at a time and spend your life desperately wanting to drink and not drinking, or you're fine. Like there's nothing to see here. You just need to moderate and like, quote unquote, drink responsibly. And the substance itself is addictive. So it's not like people who drink too much or are worried about their alcohol intake haven't tried to moderate. Like, dear God, we've been trying to do that for years and years. I was worried about my drinking. I kept making all these rules. Like, I'm only going to drink two drinks a night. Sometimes it was successful. Often it wasn't. I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I switched from red wine, which was my jam, to white wine or beer because I thought it would help me drink less. I signed up for 5.30 a.m. classes because I thought that would make me drink less. I signed up for running clubs during when I would usually drink because I thought it would help me not drink. And yet I kept coming back to the same pattern. But in terms of like stopping, it's hard. It's hard to stop. Yeah. What was the big fear about at that time saying – 
you know, I, you know, saying it out loud, I guess I have a problem with this drinking. I'm really struggling, but it's like you, all this stuff internally, like you said, there's maybe too much shame about sharing it or, or something that keeps it all hidden in. You're struggling in silence. You're, you know, this is not good, yeah. but everybody isn't saying anything and yeah. everybody thinks you got everything together. And I'm just wondering like, what was that, that kept you silent? Like working on your own by yourself alone. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to stop. And I think for any, I'll just speak about women because I coach women. I work with women. I don't think any woman who drinks like I did, unless it gets really bad, and we're talking about gray area women drinking who haven't necessarily hit that, it is absolutely obvious that they are, I mean, I wasn't drinking in the morning. I wasn't showing up drunk to events, although I certainly would get drunk at events. I was theoretically, that was one of my things where I was like, I'm doing all the things for all the people. I arrange my kids' dentist appointment. I take them to sports. My job, I work really hard. Um, I'm the one making the coffee at night. I'm the one putting them to bed. You know, all this defensiveness to my husband, but also in my own mind that I was like, this is my one thing. I, you know, I can't take guitar right. lessons and go to Pilates or do whatever. This is my one reward. And I was like, if I stop, I didn't want to stop, but also like, what are people going to think of me? What are people right. at my work going to think of me? Is it going to hurt my ability to earn an income? By the way, none of these fears have been realized, right? But this is right. what I was afraid of. Will I never be able to go out with my friends? Will people judge me? And also, if I tell my husband, I'm worried about my drinking, and I'm worried I have a problem, he's going to be watching me for the rest of my life. Like, what so if I decide to go back to drinking? Or it sort of changes your relationship to like a parent-child relationship, not equals, where he's like, oh, no. You know, if I told him I had right. a problem, like, would he worry about me when I was alone with the kids? Like, it just – and I was in this gray area where I – you know, there's alcohol use disorder. Go ahead. Right. I was going to say, let's let's talk about that term – gray area drinking and, and what that means. And can you define that? Yeah. I mean, I I think it's a spectrum. And that's what people didn't really consider an option for the longest time. Right. And you, you know, when you, alcohol is an addictive substance, it just is. So if you consume enough of it or often enough, and we live in a very big drinking society where it's all around us, you will start to consume more of it and want it more often, right? When you consume it, you go into withdrawal, yeah. your dopamine levels drop. It's it's not untrue that when you don't drink, you're irritated. You feel blah, all that stuff. So gray area drinking describes people who consume more than the moderate amount of alcohol. And that, you know, for ages in medical was like one drink a night for women, two drinks a night for men, seven drinks a week for women, 14 drinks for men. By the way, anyone who drinks wine at dinner 
consumes more than one drink a night. Yeah. And most people consume more than seven drinks a week for women. So gray area drinking is a huge spectrum, but they drink more than the moderate amount of alcohol, but they don't meet the criteria for dependence. And they may not drink every day. They definitely, typically, if you're in the gray area, don't drink first thing in the morning. They don't have the shakes, but they're likely pretty preoccupied with alcohol. They have a lot of difficulty giving it up, but they aren't, you know, I mean, I I really dislike the term alcoholic. I mean, it's not even a medical term. It's alcohol use disorder, mild, moderate, severe. They're probably in the moderate category of alcohol use disorder. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And and so I can understand more why it would be so hard to say anything because at one point you, you know, this is the how you get relief from all the stress and but you also kind of know it's a problem, oh, but it's yeah. not so much of a problem that you're being forced to do anything about it. Yet if you tell anybody, then they're going to hold you accountable and you don't really want to be accountable, but you do want to be accountable and you get to this really hard space of how do I do this? So something happened for you where you said, okay, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I had been trying to moderate my alcohol intake for years. And when my son was about five years old, I had a big job. We moved to a new area. I was drinking too much. And, you know, I was at the point where like I was leaving work and really debating, depending on traffic, if I had enough time to stop to grab another bottle of wine before daycare closed, you know, like really irritated if there was a backup on the highway because I was worried I didn't have quote unquote enough at home, whether I had half a bottle at home or whether I had decided for the 14th time that I was not going to drink during the week. And then it had been a hard day or a good day. And I was like, oh, screw it. You know, like, forget that, that I'm being too extreme. So I knew I had a problem. I used to walk into work at this time hungover and literally be thinking in my mind, okay, am I an alcoholic? This was before I'd done a lot of work to learn about that term. Or do I just abuse alcohol? Because if I just abuse alcohol, I can stop doing that, you know? So I was worried about it. And yet in my mind, I thought, well, I could probably play this out for a few more years, right? Like, eh, you know, I'm I'm yeah, probably yeah. going to have to stop. I like the mental gymnastics, you yes. know. <laughs> Just not gymnastics. yet. So when my son was 5, I looked up, I went to therapy, and I specifically looked up a therapist who specialized in both anxiety, which is what I told everyone including my husband I had, and addiction. I went in there and was like, I'm so stressed. My boss is so hard. My life is so busy, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, I'm drinking a bottle of wine at night. And he was like, right. let's talk like, about your the, drinking. On the tail end at the end of the session. You know, you know like, like oh, you by the way, like, mutter it out really fast. <laughs> yeah, and he right. was like, he was probably the first therapist or doctor I had said that to. And immediately he was like, let's talk about your drinking. And I was like, no, you didn't hear me. I need to talk about my boss, you know? And so, right. We're not going to really talk about this topic. No, I don't like I get to yet. decide what we talk about, whatever. Um, he was sober. 
he encouraged me um, to go to AA. That was his path. And this was a decade ago where that was often sort of the only thing people knew about. They thought yeah, if yeah. you didn't go to AA, then it wouldn't work, right? You right. There's no serious. other hope for you. You were yeah. in denial. And so I did. I joined a group of people online. I met a woman in my town online who seemed like me. You know, she was a lawyer. She had gone to grad school. She was my age. She was four months sober. So she took me to an AA meeting. And I was sort of, when I walked in, like, well, bucket list. I never thought I'd do this in my life, you know? (laughs) Right. And I would say, I have so many friends in AA right now and in the years since I stopped. They love it. I think it's amazing for a lot of people. I think at the time, or I know at the time, I was in the same place that a lot of people are, where you have all this stigma around the term alcoholic, around going to AA, because that's what popular culture has shown you, you know? And, you know, you're in a basement of a church in a circle saying, hi, I'm Casey, I'm an alcoholic, which, by the way, my first meeting was in the basement of a church. And I guess all those stereotypes, it was it was true. Everybody was very nice. Some people were really weird. You know what I mean? Like their stories were were very, very dire. And that immediately puts in your mind, well, I'm not like these people, you know, That was a very long time ago. I no longer believe these things. But at the time, I did. So I went to AA. I stopped for four months. I tried to dive in. I mean, I then I started going only to women's meetings. But I rebelled against the term alcoholic. I rebelled against the idea that I was powerless. The program itself just wasn't for me. The big book... It was written 80 years ago by two white men. I found it very paternalistic and condescending. That was just my experience. And I'm not religious. And so a lot of the, you know, my sponsor told me to get on my knees and pray to God to lift my obsession. And I was like, uh. That's not going to work for me. I'm not going to do that, you know. So, but I did stop. And then I got pregnant and miraculously, and I say this sarcastically, my life got way better, right? I was happier. I was calmer. I could manage my life. It was just everything was better. And so I decided it was situational, right? Like, yeah, I really had a problem with alcohol a year ago, but like, I'm better now, you know, like I've done some work, my life is better. So I was like, you know, the third door that everyone who who struggles with alcohol consumption wants, I said, okay, I'm going to go back to drinking, but just a glass or two of wine on a date night with my husband. I had two glasses that first night. I desperately wanted a third. Then a week went by and I was like, oh, it's a Friday night. I'll just get a bottle of wine to share. In no time at all, I was back to a bottle of wine a night. And I kept trying to like white knuckle it to stop. And at that point, I knew too much. I knew every hangover, every 3 a.m. wake up, every feeling shaky, every time I put my eyeliner on and my eyes were glassy and bloodshot, I knew it was the alcohol. And at that point, the question was not if I'm going to have to stop, it was just when, you know? Right, 
right? It was when, like you, you knew like this, the alcohol is a problem. This is, this is something I have to get out of my life. And I cannot moderate it. And I feel like I cannot cope with my life. I used to wake up every morning and say, what the F is wrong with me? Get your shit together, you know, hold up the bottle of wine, see how much was left in it to decide how bad my day was going to be. Right. It was a serious problem. And at that point, it was just, when do I stop? You know? Just when you started to become like the sober, curious woman, like, you know, that you help and that you support. Yeah. And I would say that the work I do is typically, um, I was sober curious for a long time. The work I do in one-on-one coaching is typically for women who have tried to moderate for a long time and it isn't working and have decided they need more support, but still do not consider themselves in, you know, the severe alcohol use disorder in the alcohol like category. They going to AA for any reason is a non-starter for them. And a lot of the work they need to do is habit change, behavior change, reward structure change, limiting beliefs, figuring out how to take care of their cravings for alcohol with the emotions underneath them and to take away the stigma. So I actually woke up at 3 a.m. yet another night. I was in a secret private Facebook group of people who want to stop drinking. The name is perfect. It was called the Booze Free Brigade. They were not trying to moderate. They were trying to stop. And someone recommended going to a sober coach that they knew. And she lived in Paris. I signed up for her 100-day no alcohol challenge, which included a year of being her pen pal and sort of getting that daily support. And it wasn't forever, which I think helped me so much. I wasn't ready to say I was never going to drink again, but I was ready to feel better. And I did trust enough to know that if I stopped drinking, I would feel better. And so I just build up days. I got to seven days and 14 and 30 and 90. And when I got to 100 days, I'd done so much work in terms of I told people I wasn't drinking. I had gone to dinner. I had gone on date nights. I'd gone through a really tough time with my boss. I'd been bored and found new hobbies and dealt with my daughter when she was screaming all without drinking. And when I got to 100 days, I felt so much better. I moved that milestone. And I said, I want to get to six months. I want to see how much progress I can make in my life at six months. At six months, I said, I'm going for a year. And it wasn't until I got to a year that I sort of said out loud to my husband, to myself, to my friends, I think I'm done. I think I'm done drinking. You know, I feel better without it. And I think that's all you need to do. And I think that's what the sober curious movement is about and and identifying gray area drinking in the spectrum is just to say, get curious, do an experiment and see how you feel without alcohol, without all the baggage that you've been told comes with it. It's like... um a little bit more of a gentler way to do it than jumping into a 12-step group 
like you said earlier, like just being curious about it maybe gives you enough room to see the benefit of getting alcohol out of your life. Yeah. And also you don't have to take on that label and shame and other people can drink, but there is something morally wrong with me or I have a disease where I've sort of lost my privileges. It helped me a lot to frame it as a health and lifestyle choice that worked for me in the same way that some people choose to be a vegetarian or a vegan. You know, it doesn't have to define you. It's like, I don't drink in the same way I don't eat meat. You know what I mean? I bring my own non-alcoholic right. beer to parties. It works better for me. And I tell people I sleep better. I have less anxiety. I'm naturally happier and more content. I have more energy. And by the way, alcohol is really bad for you. It is clearly correlated with increased risk of seven types of cancer and makes you feel like All garbage. sorts of things. Mental health issues. Yes. I mean, it just is It's such a... It's such a horrific poison, so to speak, or toxicity. Yeah. I mean, just it's, it's horrible for the body. And in the last seven years, there have been so many more programs, coaches, approaches to coming people just coming out and talking about deciding to be sober, deciding to be sober curious. I mean, if you search hashtag sober curious on Instagram or TikTok, you will find just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of accounts and women openly sharing that they've stopped drinking without anonymity, without shame. They're proud, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, Casey, I, I think you're speaking to a lot of people out there that probably didn't have a voice, like the way you described, so alone in this internal struggle and it's, you know, when we're in our internal struggle so alone, I mean, it's just so painful. It's it's miserable. And you don't have to be alone. You, you can you can do this with other people. And if anyone's out there listening, you know, that f fits this dynamic, it's like there's help and support out there. Yeah, there is. And, and by the way, you are not alone. You know, there are like I said, just thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are in this gray area where they're doing all the rules and struggling to moderate and worried about their alcohol consumption. And, you know, I promise you what my coach said to me, that if you stop drinking, you will feel better and you deserve to do an experiment of doing that without labeling yourself to see how it works for you. But it is work. You know, you do have to find other rewards and other hobbies and tell people for accountability that you're not drinking, not for tonight, but for an extended period of time. So they don't say, oh, just have one. It's no big deal. You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up, I always love to ask everybody one question before we go. Maybe there is a woman out there who relates to this story and you could tell her one thing. What would you, what would you want to say? What would you want to want to tell her? I would say that if a woman is struggling, you know what your life looks like when you're drinking, you know, the highs and you know, the lows 
And if you're struggling with alcohol, the the ratio is probably tipped where there are a lot more lows than there are highs. And, you know, you know what your life looks like drinking. You deserve to feel and experiment with what life looks like without alcohol just for three months, just for 100 days. Do the experiment, but do it with support. Do it with a community. Do it with some tools. And you will be very surprised how much better your life gets and how many fears you have are not true. Oh, that's awesome, Casey. How can people find you? They want to know more about you. Where can they get a hold of you? Well, I have a podcast called the Hello Someday Podcast. It is for sober, curious women or gray area drinkers. It is a coaching approach. So I bring on authors. I bring on podcasters, subject matter experts to talk about all things that will help you stop drinking, feel good about it, deal with perfectionism, anxiety, marriage, relationships. Dwayne came on to talk about infidelity, which can be a huge trigger. And so I think that's the best way to find me. It's the Hello Someday podcast. You can find it wherever you listen. If you go to my website, which is hellosomedaycoaching.com, I have an absolutely free guide to your first 30 days alcohol-free with tons of support and resources telling you what to expect on day four and day seven and day 14 and sort of to hold your hand walking you through that. That is awesome, Casey. I will put all the links in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. Thank you so much for coming on. I just really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So check them out. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, click the subscribe button in your podcast app or share the podcast with a friend. And if you want to continue the conversation online, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.